0: No matter what kind of leader you are, whether you're leading your family, your church, whether you're leading a company, you're leading a team, or you're simply leading yourself, we all feel the obligation to make the best decision possible. But what do you do when there are no good options? Every option sucks. Let's talk about it. Welcome to the Graceful Hustle Podcast where people of faith learned how to amplify their professional impact. I'm your host, Monique Harkam-Edwards, a New Orleans girl who loves seafood, a wannabe fashion stylist, wife, and mother. I'm also an executive strategist, attorney, and pastor. And I'm here to help you get to the C-suite with your soul right. Hey, 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 what's good, family? We are back with episode number 32 of the Graceful Hustle podcast, When There Are No Good Options. Six things to consider. So listen, in the middle of this whole coronavirus global pandemic, I get a call last week from my mom's nursing home saying that she was displaying some physical symptoms that could have been indicative of a stroke. And that they wanted to take her to the hospital. Now, normally this would have been a no brainer. Normally that's immediately the right thing to do, but there were a few factors at play. Number one, given my mom's age and her risk for fatally contracting COVID-19, that was one factor, right? That said, "Mm, we got to pause before we just automatically bring her to the hospital. The second thing was she is in New Orleans, which is now a COVID hotspot. So there was a real decision to be made. So they called me. I got my sister Shelly on the phone because we make these decisions together. And the conversation was, do we send her to the hospital for further testing and risk her contracting COVID-19? Or do we take a chance that the physical symptoms or signs weren't really a stroke at all, but something much less severe, and so we don't bring her to the hospital? In this day and time that we're living in, almost every person, especially every leader is having to make choices amongst two or more options that don't seem all that pleasant. There is no good option. Typically, you know, we say we're choosing between the lesser of two evils, but what if all the choices seem equally evil? (laughs) What do you do when there doesn't appear to be a good choice? So listen, I don't have all the answers and every situation is different, but I'm going to give you guys six things to consider as you try to navigate this space of making decisions in an environment when there doesn't seem to be a good option. The first thing that I've had to learn to do is separate fact from fiction. When it seems as if there are no good choices, no good options, it's critical to separate what you actually know to be fact from what you think you know. This means taking a piece of paper, making two columns, one labeled, you guessed it, facts, and the other labeled theory, conjecture, assumptions, fiction, whatever. But you use this piece of paper and these two columns to write down everything you think you know that's pertinent to the decision, putting them in either one column or the other. Now, often when you do this, you are thinking, well, I noticed stuff already. Why am I writing it down? but what happens when you write it down and you see it in column form is that you learn one of two things, you know, more than you think, you know, for certain, you know, more facts than you think you do. And those facts will inform a decision or you realize that a lot of what's floating in your head is conjecture. It's unproven untested theories about the situation. Now, Sometimes people say, well, what about my gut, my instinct, my hunch, all of those things have a place in decision-making, but that's not where you start in decision-making. You start with the facts, however few or however many, and speaking of few or many facts it's not the number of facts that matters. You don't need a laundry list of facts because not all facts are created equally. It's about the quality of those facts. So the other reason that listing out what you know for certain is helpful because it helps you to see if there are any critical pieces of information or data that's missing, or if there's some information that you have, but the quality of it, the source of it, the time frame in which you gathered it is no longer relevant. The source is not that strong of a source. So, In certain scenarios, all information is not created equally. And so when you start listing things out, you may find yourself listing some things like that are really opportunity costs. What's the opportunity cost of me not doing this step, or what's the opportunity cost of me making this decision. And in some instances you may find that that's more critical than your actual dollar cost. So, Listing out the facts has a few benefits. Number one, it helps you to separate what you really know from what you just think you know. It also helps you to see how much and how many facts you actually have versus how much of what's floating around in your head is conjecture. And then it also helps you to assess the quality of the information that you have on which you need to make a decision. So that's first. Separate the facts from the fiction. Second, deal with your emotions deal with your emotions. The other reason it's important to get clear on what's fact versus theory or fiction is because when you go through that last step that we just talked about, it will help uncover any unhelpful emotions that may be clouding your decision-making. Now, listen, not all emotion is bad. It's just that some are more helpful or less helpful than others. But you'd be surprised at how often decisions are made based on underlying hidden emotions, things we didn't even realize were below the surface. So perhaps you think you should make a certain cost-cutting decision. But when you lay out the facts around a decision, you see that the facts don't support that particular decision as being the best course of action. Perhaps you felt you should make that decision out of a knee jerk reaction to do something or out of the emotion of fear or the need to feel like there's some element of this crisis, your cost, that you can control, or maybe just the opposite. You know, there's a step that you should take, perhaps laying off a well-liked beloved employee and the emotion of feeling terrible about having to do this to this employee at this time. There's guilt, there's a sense of obligation, all those things can get in the way of you making that decision. But you know that the facts bear out that if you don't make that decision, you are allowing that to jeopardize the potential health and longevity of the organization. You need to make this tough decision to cut this employee. So when you list your facts and your theories or your facts versus your fiction, you also get to look at that fiction column and say, hmm, why have I bought so heavily into this thing that's really not even based in fact? And a lot of times what you'll find is there's an underlying emotion driving that. So let's apply this these two things to what we just talked about in my mama situation. Before my sister and I could make a decision, we had to get information by asking several questions. Which hospital are you going to take her to? Did they have a separate entrance for coronavirus patients and separate floors and separate staff designated just for coronavirus patients to reduce the risk of contraction? M- mama has dementia, so she can't remember her medical history. So, did that hospital already have access? ready access to all of her records. What's the hospital's process for communicating with the family? Since none of us could actually go to the hospital, not even those family members in New Orleans, this was hugely important to me and my sister here in New Jersey so that we could get information and make decisions about her care and be in touch with the medical staff. What were the risk of her not getting checked out at the hospital? Now, listen, we didn't have time to make a chart. We had to ask all those questions and do this analysis in a matter of minutes. But the point being, we still had to go through that process, however long and in, or short or formal or informal. And so going through that process of separating our facts from conjecture helped us to make a rational decision or a more rational decision about what to do. Now, notice I didn't say a perfect decision. I said a rational one. There are no perfect decisions, certainly not ones made by humans anyway. And remember, especially in a crisis, there are no perfect decisions, but here's what happened. Going through that process helped me to uncover a fear that was much bigger than I realized. We got all the facts that we needed, as much assurance as the nursing home staff and the hospital could possibly give us. Our mother was checked in. She was responsive. She knew who she was, et cetera. And it looked like what she had suffered was pretty mild, but I was still terrified. I was still terrified. And what it did was it caused me to say, okay, Monique, why are you still scared? And I wanted her to get in and get out as soon as possible. I didn't want her to stay in the hospital. I just, I just had a whole lot of fear going on. And what, when I sat down and I went through the facts and I went through the fiction or the theory, I realized that the emotion of fear that I was experiencing was less about this particular situation and more about what happened before my father died. Before my father died, a year before he died, he started having these little stroke-like episodes. And a year later, he passed away. So my real fear wasn't, even tied to something that I could really get my arms around in this situation. My fear was around what I was extrapolating from the decision that sending her to the hospital for this stroke, this was the beginning of the end and I was borrowing tomorrow's trouble and tomorrow's grief and despair. And I was bringing it all into today. I know it's not rational. I know it may not make any sense, But you would be surprised how even in business decisions, there is underlying emotion that can hinder us from making the best decision we can under the circumstances. So number one, separate fact from theory. Number two, identify, call out, and deal with the unhelpful emotions that might be clouding your judgment about what to do. Third thing, get counsel. I Proverbs eleven fourteen says that there's wisdom and safety in a multitude or a number of wise counselors. So get as much counsel as you can before pulling the trigger. Listen, ultimately, the decision rests with you as the decision maker, as the leader, but it's critical to get insight, to get guidance, to get data points, or even just a sanity check from those people around you. And there are two types of com- people that you need counseling you. And it's ideal if you can find this in the same person. Number one, you need somebody who understands your perspective. So they have the perspective. They've been here, they've experienced this, they understand this situation, whether that's a business situation, they've led through crisis, they've led through the 2008 recession. You need to get perspective from those around you, and then they need to be people that you trust. People that you trust are making decisions or helping you make decisions based on, number one, their assessment of the facts, and number two, spiritual insight. So wise counselors are people that you can trust and people who have the right perspective on your issue. And this is why your tribe, your network is more important during a crisis than ever. If you're a leader, profit, nonprofit, large organization, small company, you need a peer advisory group of some sort. You cannot let the pressure of the crisis make you think that you can't afford to take the time, invest the money or whatever to get counsel from people whom you trust and people who have the right perspective. In a crisis, you cannot afford to be a long ranger. You need to go grab your tanto and y'all need to ride this out, but you got to get somebody. Listen, I didn't have the CDC on speed dial, but I called my sister <laughs> when we had to make the decision around my mom. And together we asked the questions, work through the analysis and we made a decision so step number three is get counsel step number four let's talk about your gut remember I said that intuition hunches gut feelings had a place in decision making so this is where those come in they're not the first thing you rely on But once you've looked at the data, once you've separated fact from fiction, once you've you've dealt with whatever unhelpful emotions may be present and you've gotten some counsel, now is the time to pull out that intuition. It can be easy to run with the cold, hard data that's available, but remember, especially in a crisis situation, The numbers aren't perfect and they don't usually don't tell the whole story, especially in a crisis situation. Now, I want you to remember when you talk about your gut, your gut is different from emotions. Your gut is formed from a combination of objective information and subjective experiences and observations over time. So these things, objective information, subjective experiences and observations over time, these blend together to form your gut feeling. So if your gut feeling isn't based on, it's not something that's based on a fight with your spouse or a disagreement with your managing director. That's emotion. Your gut is cultivated and curated based on a variety of experiences over time, which makes it much more reliable than sheer emotion. And your gut can be a very helpful determinant when the facts needed to make the decision just aren't there. You just don't have the facts. Now, when I say the facts aren't there, I don't mean you just don't have them yet. I mean, the facts aren't knowable knowable. Is that even a word? Well, it is now. So let's say you're in a market with a new product and you don't have any market data directly on point to help you make a decision about how this product will perform and how customers will behave in this new environment that we're living in. It's just not knowable because you've never been there. So in that case, you're going to have to use whatever data you have, but intuition is going to play a much bigger role in this kind of a situation where the facts are not knowable. So that's where your gut comes in. You don't ignore your gut. Some of you call it tuition, intuition, your gut, your instinct. For those of us who are believers in Christ, we know that that's the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts, speaking to our spirit and impressing certain things upon us. But you gotta make some room for your gut. Just make sure it's in the proper place after you've done some analysis. And you don't make a hair trigger decision off of your gut. Step number five, make a decision, make a decision. Very few decisions in life are irreversible. Yes, some are more permanent than others. Some are definitely better than others. Some will have significantly better outcomes than others, but you can't let the need to make a perfect decision, keep you from making a decision. And most often in crisis doing nothing is a sure way to become extinct. It's a sure way, especially in business, it's a sure way to go out of business. You may be familiar with the paradox of, I think it's Bur- Bur- Buridan's, I think is how you pronounce it, A Buridan's donkey. I may not be pronouncing that right. Y'all can look it up and tell me. But the paradox of this donkey tells a story of this hungry donkey who was standing in between two piles of hay. Then the donkey, when it was time to eat, usually chose the pile of hay that was closest to him. But this time, the two piles of hay are equidistant from where he's standing. And unable to make a decision as to which pile of hay to eat, the donkey dies of starvation. You can't do nothing. This paradox tells us you cannot do nothing. Well, and in fact, you can look at it this way, doing nothing is a decision in some ways. It's a decision to allow allow some other force to control your fate or your destiny. It's a decision to allow some other force, your competitor, your customer, the economy, to decide. So that's step five, make a decision. So after you've separated fact from fiction, you've dealt with any underlying emotions that might be blocking you from making the best possible decision under the circumstances, you've gotten wise counsel from people you trust and who have the right perspective, you've paid attention to what your gut, your spirit, your intuition may be telling you, it is likely that you still won't have a clear-cut winner. So often, making a decision from amongst your finalists can come down to this you've done all that, I still can't pick a winner, consider having a very short set of criteria, one to do things that are non-negotiables, one to do things that are maybe principle or values-based, but that are must-haves or must-nots, In other words, if one of your final options involves being intentionally ambiguous, let's say with a client or withholding important information from a supplier and a core value of yours is integrity. Well, you know, right then that option is off the table, despite how it may have held up under all the other constructs. So sometimes when we get to this need to make a decision, we have to have one to two things that are non-negotiables. They could be principle-based, they could be value-based, they could be financially-based, but we need to have one to two things that will help us narrow it down and get to the best decision under the circumstances, given the information you have. Remember that we're not looking for a perfect decision. So not only do we need to separate fact and fiction, deal with underlying emotions that may be blocking us, get wise counsel, pay attention to our gut and and behave as congruently as we can with these non-negotiables. The last thing, and this is number six, I want you to trust God. Settle in your heart that you have made the best decision you could with the information you had. Listen, I know you're a moving the shaker. I know you got more degrees than a thermometer. I know you're a type a take charge, kick butt, take names, personality. I know you have achieved a huge amount of success in your life and career, but you know what you don't can't and never will have all the answers. None of us will. And so it's reasonable to expect that you will not make a perfect decision. It's unreasonable to expect that your decision is going to be perfect. This has always been the case. You've never really made a perfect decision (laughs) before, but it just looked like they were because we weren't in crisis. But there are no perfect decisions in crisis. Just a well thought through decision based on the best information available within the time frame needed. So go ahead, pull the trigger, and lastly, trust God. This has been episode number 32 of the graceful hustle podcast. What do you do when there are no good options? Six things to consider. I pray that this is blessed y'all. Y'all take tremendously good care. Oh, wait, before you go download the free resource that I've attached in the show notes. It's a free resource. It's a little crib sheet that's going to help you remember these six points and give you a framework for working through it so you don't have to go back and listen to the podcast or take notes. But listen, y'all take great care of yourselves and those that you love, and I still plan on seeing you at the top. Be blessed. Bye-bye.